Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast by Belief, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, and tonight we have episode number 51, and this is the Area 51 episode honoring the former 17th overall pick in the 2007 NBA draft by the New Jersey Nets, Sean Williams. While off-the-court issues derailed Williams' career, I was still a huge fan of his Uh, During his rookie year in New Jersey, playing alongside my all-time favorite player in Vince Carter, the long string bean and very explosive big man certainly filled up the rookie highlight reel on both ends of the court. And uh, speaking of uh, the topic of scouting and evaluating young talent, let's welcome in one of the game's best young rising stars in talent evaluation as tonight's special guest on the show, and that is Joe Doerr the co-owner and creator of Strictly B-Ball. Joe has over 1.9 million, yes, million followers on TikTok and has had his content reposted by big names like LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, and Jamal Crawford. And even as recently as earlier today, Joe had his video work featured as part of Ramona Shelbourne's story on Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray on ESPN.com. Joe, how are you doing tonight? And, uh, how was it waking up this morning uh, to seeing your video on ESPN.com? It was uh, it was pretty crazy. I mean, Ramona Shelburne is somebody that I've I've definitely read a lot of times. Her articles are great, and uh, I had a friend text me and say, "Hey, look at this ESPN article." And I I look, and the, the article is about Jokic and Murray at the Nike Hoop Summit in 2014, and we had just done a video on that, and she cited our our video in there. So that was that was a pretty cool thing to wake up to. Yeah, and can you tell us a little bit about that video and what made it so significant? Yeah, so it was – I don't remember how I um, I came up with the idea, but it was – I knew that Jokic had a big uh, Nike Hoop Summit performance or kind of the practices leading up to the Nike Hoop Summit um, back before he was drafted. And so I go back to that, that video, and then I see Jamal Murray was on his team. It was the Team World versus Team USA. Yep. And, uh, like – Carl Anthony Towns was playing in that game. Jalil Okafor was playing in that game. And in the first quarter, Jokic checks into the game um, for Towns. And right away, uh, Jokic and Murray ran a pick and roll. Jokic got a wide open three, just like we've seen so many times. And he actually he actually ended up missing that three. But I thought, I'm going to do a video about this because Jokic, that was kind of the start of Jokic and Murray. Yeah, absolutely. Really cool stuff there. And uh, job well done. Uh, putting that back up and I'm glad you got some credit through ESPN. Now, before we move on and talk about the finals, just a quick reminder that Bet Online is your number one source for all your championship finals info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds in lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA and Stanley Cup finals. Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs from basketball and hockey to MLB, UFC, and boxing. The latest and fastest way to get your betting info, including live betting options in your favorite casino and card games, available to play right from your own home. Get in on the action today. Head to the website or use your mobile device to join, and be sure to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And tonight, Joe, we're going to start out in our first quarter discussing game three of the NBA finals. Uh, we'll go ahead and discuss 
The Denver Nuggets playing with some desperation on the road, getting a huge victory over the Miami Heat on Wednesday night. And uh, did you get a chance to watch that game? I did. I did watch the game. Um, I mean, great performance by the Nuggets. I would say my my first kind of takeaway from the game is I really had a feeling they were going to win when, when the kind of storyline at the beginning was the whole thing about Mike Malone calling out the players, calling out their effort in the NBA Finals. And I don't think there was a lack of effort in Game 3. Not at all. I mean, just looking here uh, at the at the box score, of course, we did get the uh, triple doubles from both Murray and Jokic in this one. Um, but then off the bench, they got some strong play from Christian Braun. Aaron Gordon had a double-double, so, uh, 11 points, 10 rebounds, and uh, just an overall consistent night from this Denver team that got contributions up and down the board. A lot of things that didn't show up in the box score, of course, um, with guys like Caldwell Pope. Didn't have a great job uh, shooting the basketball, uh, but certainly did provide a spark defensively and uh, trying to keep those uh, shooters on the Miami Heat pretty quiet there. So um, one question that I would have for you is, did you see the Denver Nuggets being this good? Did you always kind of respect the record they had in the Western Conference this year, or are you sort of surprised to see them here in the NBA Finals this late in June? I would say my opinion kind of switched a couple times on them because I would say middle of the year, I was high on them. I I thought Jokic should have been the MVP. I thought um, they were a really good team. And I kind of wanted – when the whole MVP thing was – everyone was talking about how Jokic doesn't deserve a third one because he's never won a finals. I was kind of hoping that he would get to this point just so that that kind of conversation would end for him because it's not his fault. I mean – but – uh, cause they've had so many injuries, but yeah, I, I guess at the end of the season, they, they went like the low 500 for their last like 20 games of the year. And I guess they were clearly just saving themselves for the playoffs. But at that point I was like, as a Timberwolves fan, also myself, I was like, maybe we could pull off the upset. Like they're, <laughs> we, we got this momentum coming in and, and, uh, no, but I, I honestly, once the playoffs started, once I saw what Jokic was doing to the Wolves and then just kind of in every series, I, I, I'm not surprised. They're the, they're the best team in basketball. I would totally agree with you. And I think it all starts and ends with uh, the Joker. Of course, I think uh, voter fatigue kind of set in uh, with the voters as far as not giving him a third year in a row uh, to him and was definitely excited for Embiid. But uh, to your point, uh, with the Nuggets making it this far, it's kind of uh, – uh, easy to see who the best player in the NBA is this year and, and today. And uh, now on the flip side, if we looked at the Miami Heat here, I mean, of course, they've had a surprising rise to the finals, even got a surprising victory in game two, becoming the first uh, road team uh, to defeat the Denver Nuggets on the road. And, uh, you know, I thought maybe there would be some momentum heading into game three for Miami, being able to host their first NBA finals game this year. They got a strong performance from Jimmy Butler, was, was, which was something we were missing in those first two games. Uh, but other than that, I mean, they didn't get the contributions they needed from their role guys. Uh, typically, the, I feel like the Miami Heat have been a team that have had role players to sprout up on a game-to-game occasion and uh, you know provide a positive impact uh, that, that was kind of a surprise. We didn't really get that in game three, which was a surprise. You know, I, I had called out um, – Caleb Martin, I thought he was going to have a big game and bounce back 
and uh, have a strong performance like he did in that Boston Celtics series back at home. Yep. Um, but again, just kind of a, a mediocre night for him. 10 points off the bench in 31, 31 minutes. Um, what, what's your take on this Heat team? Do you think they have a chance in game four? Or uh, are you thinking that, uh, you know, Denver kind of woke up after that game two loss and it's pretty much over from here? I would say you can never count out the Miami Heat. Okay. I, I think with the – I mean, I didn't think that they were going to win the first series, obviously. I didn't think they are going to win against the Knicks, honestly. And I definitely didn't think they are going to beat the Celtics. But, I mean, I, I just don't think you can count them out. I do think the Nuggets are going to win, but this, this Heat team is honestly really unpredictable. I mean, you never know if you're going to get no contributions because the, a lot of their role guys are – kind of overperforming this, this postseason, you like, they have these great games, but any given night, those guys could go completely silent. Like you're not going to get those, uh, you're not going to consistently get 20 points from Caleb Martin, like we saw in the Celtics series. Um, So any, any night, I think they could win a game, but they could also, they could also get nothing from, from a few of those guys. Like we saw Duncan Robinson in game two go for 10 points they don't win that game if Duncan Robinson doesn't do that. And then, I mean, what did Duncan have have last night? I mean, it's, it's nine points. Okay, yeah. So I, I don't know. It's just I wouldn't count them out, but I don't know. It's it's looking t- it's looking tough for them with how yeah. Jokic and Murray are playing. Yeah, I totally agree. I think when you look at the Denver Nuggets uh, and the victory they had, they commanded the lead the entire uh, game in game uh, game three in Miami. And this was also another game they got a poor performance from Michael Porter Jr., who only had two points in 21 minutes. Did have seven boards, but you kind of expect a little bit more from your max player, a guy that's had some strong games throughout the Western Conference playoffs. And, uh, you know, outside of Christian Braun off the bench with 15, they only got nine other bench points. And Bruce Brown, who had five, typically Brown can go for anywhere from 10 to 12. And uh, Jeff Green had four points. Uh, but, you know, just a commanding game from Murray and Jokic that did play with that desperation. Uh, my colleague Bruce on the show had said this would be a fascinating game just to kind of see them have to play with some desperation because throughout the, the rest of the playoffs, they've never really had to. They've just kind of had control yeah. of the series and whatnot. So uh, it was fun to see how they would respond uh, in game three. But it, it did raise some questions of whether or not the Miami Heat um, – you know, can bounce back in game four. But as Jimmy Butler likes to say, I think that's kind of the position they like to be in. They like to be slept on. Yep. They like to be counted out. So wouldn't it put anything past Jimmy Butler and the and the Miami Heat. What's been your take on Jimmy Butler? I mean, has this been a surprise to you? I mean, this is a guy that not only once played for your Minnesota Timberwolves, um, but, you know, he hey, had I, a actually very- got, I actually got a, a picture of him back here. Oh, there we go. I can see it. Yeah, I Pointing see that. Pointing out Wiggins and Towns. Yeah. Kind of a funny picture back there, but yeah. So he had a very up and down regular season and then really kind of just turned it on in the playoffs. I mean, uh, has it been a surprise to you just having followed Jimmy throughout his career that he's having so much success in this year's playoffs? I want to say no because he, he's a, he's playoff Jimmy, but th- what he's done th- this postseason is a surprise 100%. I mean, this is a guy who like – couldn't shoot threes for the whole season. And then he <laughs> explodes hitting every three pointer. I mean, he had 56 points in a game. I mean, I honestly, it's, it's one of those, I know he's had some down games, but 
it's what I think he's probably the biggest playoff riser we might have in the league right now. Um, a guy who really rises in the, in the postseason. I would say it's, it's gotta be surprising. I mean, the heat are in the NBA finals and they were five minutes away from losing in the second yeah. playing game. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's unbelievable. It, it, it's quite the story there. And um, as we head into our second quarter here, uh, you know, talking more so about the adjustments and kind of the game four preview. I mean, one of the things that really stood out for me in game three was the fact that, you know, the Denver Nuggets shot 51% from the field as a team in this one. The Miami Heat were at 37%. And uh, how how do you see this Miami team trying to combat the two-man game that Jamal Murray and Jokic possess? I mean, I know you can't stop it, but how, how do you how do you think they should look to try to contain this in game four? I mean, I I think there is a bright spot for the Heat when it comes to defensively. I don't know what their exact game plan was, but I know I heard something about kind of ch- trying to take away the role players, um, which I think they kind of did. Like you mentioned, it was Christian Braun, but other than that, it wasn't a lot of guys. Yeah. Now, you can't really win a game with Jamal Murray and Jokic both getting triple doubles and, and doing what they were doing. So maybe... I mean, if their goal was to make Jokic a score, I know a lot of people were talking about that and how when he sprays the ball to those shooters all, all game, like he can get guys hot and make the role players better. If the goal is to make Jokic and Murray beat you, maybe next game they don't they don't play like they did in game three. And I don't know. So I, I guess I'm not an X's and O's expert, but – Maybe if the game plan is to try to make Jokic beat you again with his scoring and not his passing, mm-hmm. then I mean he still had ten assists. You you just can't you can't stop you can't stop Jokic. But yeah, I don't know. No, I th- what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think a lot of I think a lot of pressure is going to be put on Bam Adebayo to be a disruptor. Uh, the one thing they do they do need to continue to do is try to force as many turnovers as possible. Um, I've said it all year long about the Miami Heat. They they really thrive in sloppy basketball games, just kind of keeping it close, but being within one to two buckets in the, in the closing minutes of a game is where they really excel and seem to execute. And it all starts by kind of speeding up the other team's offense, making them force shots, make bad decisions, turn the ball over. And that really kind of fuels a lot of their offense because, of course, if they get out and transition, uh, as you mentioned, they do have those shooters, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, uh, the list goes on on this team. And, you know, one of the biggest things for them is they got to knock down those shots. And, and this one, the Miami Heat just shot 31% from the field, uh, which won't get it done from from downtown. And on the flip side, which is pretty crazy, is the Denver Nuggets, they were 27% from, from long range. So they didn't even have a great perimeter shooting night themselves, but yet still kind of controlled the entire pace and play of, of this game on the road and what – Easily could have been the uh, uh, the largest and most you know exhilarating crowd uh, that the, the Miami Heat have had to date, just due to the circumstances of the finals. So I think I think Bam Adebayo has got to continue to play at a high level on the defensive end, even if that means him sacrificing some of the scoring. I know that he had 22 points in this one in 40 minutes, uh, but I think a lot of his value and what's going to be needed to be relied upon is just the fact that, you know, he's got to be a little bit more aggressive offensively uh, pushing 
Joker out on his catches, uh, being disruptive on, on, in, in the passing lanes, and, and t- maybe taking a few gambles here and there. I mean, Joker is yeah. a guy that you got to pick your poison with, right? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, whatever you give him, he's gonna he's gonna take advantage of it, and usually makes the right play anyway. So I think being a little bit more aggressive, um, taking a, a few more chances uh, in the passing lanes is something that we should. Uh, look forward to seeing in the second game. I mean, Bam Adebayo didn't have a steal in this one, only had one more block. We'd like to see a little bit more aggressive aggressiveness out of him, and that's with uh, counting for he had two he had two personal fouls for the entire game. So I think he's got to raise that physicality uh, in game four and, and really try to set the tone uh, physically with, with the Joker and see if, at the very least, he can uh, – make him a little bit more uncomfortable because so far this playoffs, he's looked pretty comfortable out there. Um, so yeah. if you, if you had to make a prediction here before we go ahead and get to our halftime, I know I, I really want to focus most of this show uh, on what you're doing and, and your expertise. Um, but before we get to that, I, I have to get a game four prediction from you and then give me a series one as well. How you think this will pan out? I'm going to, I'm going to give a little bit of a hot take here and say the Miami Heat bounce back okay. and win in game four um, because I feel like that's what they've done all postseason long. But after that, I think the Nuggets win the next two and, and take it in, in six games. So that's what I think. I, I think the Nuggets are definitely the better team, but I think we can see one more just energy kind of you never know who's going to beat you Miami Heat game. And after that, I think the Nuggets take control. All right. I'm right there with you. I think I have the Miami Heat winning game four, getting it done. It'll be a close game, obviously. I don't think there's yep. a, a world where the Miami Heat blow out the, the Denver Nuggets. But um, I also have the Heat in six. So we're on the same wavelength there. And uh, with that, we've gone ahead and reached the halftime buzzer. So we'll go ahead and take a quick break and come back with you all for the second half. And we're back with the start of our third quarter, and we're going to discuss some hot topic news around the association now. Uh, The biggest being Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns. The Suns have notified Chris Paul and his camp uh, that they will look to get out of that contract. Of course, he is due $30 million next year. They do have the opportunity to buy him out for $15 million, and they have until, I believe, a June 26th deadline uh, to figure out what they're going to do. So based on all reports right now, it, it, it seems that the Suns are evaluating all options, seeing what trades might be out there, um, whether they involve Chris or maybe a guy like DeAndre Ayton. Um, from all accounts, from what Frank Vogel said in his introductory press conference in Phoenix, uh, you know, he, he loves to play with a rim protector. He's always had a rim protector. Of course, DeAndre Ayton could be that guy. Joe, I'm kind of curious. Uh, obviously I'm here located in Phoenix and, uh, get a ton of Suns coverage, but uh, as someone in Minnesota that doesn't focus on the Suns as much, I mean, what's your take on the whole Chris Paul situation in Phoenix? Do you think they should move on from Chris or run it back with him uh, as the leading point guard with uh, Devin Booker and KD on the wing? I think, um, I I think, I think they should move on from Chris Paul. I think if they can do a trade, that would be ideal. I guess, I don't know. I mean, with this, with the top, with kind of them considering all options, like what his trade value would actually be, especially 
considering the contract and everything. Um, but I think they should move on from Chris Paul. And I actually, I would be interesting to, interested to hear what you think, but I'm not a big uh, DeAndre Ayton fan. Do you th- I mean, you mentioned the thing about the rim protector. Like, how do you feel about DeAndre Ayton and considering his contract and, and the future of the Suns? I feel like this last year was really hard to go ahead and um, evaluate DeAndre, just given the circumstances and the relationship uh, that we know uh, he had issues with Monty Williams and vice versa. I don't think there was a lot of buy-in from Monty of him being part of the core moving forward. And I think it really, for a young player still trying to establish himself and establish his confidence in the league, I don't think that really sat well with DeAndre. Could he have handled it better and responded better? Of course. But, you know, as you much know, following the uh, the youth game, I mean, there's a lot of guys that have always been told they're the best. And, uh, yeah. you know, when, when they do hit some adversity, you need leadership to, to help them get through that. And I don't, I don't think that DeAndre had that for most of this year. So um, if I'm the Suns, given that Frank Vogel's the new head coach, um, I know Frank uh, – quite well actually and uh, think he's a great guy for the job to at least give him one year to kind of evaluate what he has uh, see how much he can tap into DeAndre uh, and get him to buy into his system and his belief in his abilities Um, I I, I like Aiton I think from a defensive standpoint he's one of the rare NBA fives in this league that can really defend in a pick and roll at the top of the key again I don't think this was a great season to see that because I don't know how invested DeAndre was at all times and of course he, he does get the label as soft sometimes because he's not rebounding the, the basketball as you would anticipate but I'm a big I'm a big believer in a lot of the little things fuel other things I think if you give big men early touches they seem to be more invested on the defensive end if they run the floor hard and you reward them they're going to keep running the floor hard whether or not they get the ball um, and I think that was something that uh, DeAndre can definitely, you know, have moving forward. Um, I actually even still kind of question with Chris Paul, maybe there was a disconnect between those two that we don't know about. Uh, I, for lack of a better term, I know Chris Paul can kind of be a, a smart ass at times. And uh, maybe he was a little sar- sarcastic with his comments or leadership towards DeAndre for not knowing something or screwing up a play. And uh, maybe it wasn't the best uh, communication from a, a peer-to-peer, colleague-to-colleague type standpoint standpoint on the floor. So um, I, I'm not one yet to give up on DeAndre, especially when considering they just signed him to max money. Uh, you're definitely not going to get full value if you were to trade him, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so I think you run it back one more year, hope Frank Vogel and his staff can get to him and uh, – I, I am quite encouraged with the, the coaching staff that the Suns have put together with Vogel. They kept the other head coaching finalists and Kevin Young. And then they also got David Fisdale uh, from the Utah mm. Jazz. So lots of talented coaches that can hopefully tap into the, uh, the potential of DeAndre Ayton. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm not a seller yet. I think, they, I think he needs one more year with a new coach, new voice and see if we can get his his career back on track. But, uh, you know, he has a pretty easy job, right? I mean, all he's got to do is really set screens, roll, and yeah. uh, a lot of the attention's on D-Book and uh, KD. So he should be able to get uh, some some nice, easy catches and, and open 15-foot jump shots to knock down. So um, who 
Uh, are there any guys in the league you like better than DeAndre Jordan? DeAndre Jordan? Or oh my gosh, I'm I'm, I'm butchering it right now. I'm all over the place. I think DeAndre Jordan. I think maybe we could. He, yeah. He could. <laughs> Yeah, maybe five years ago. But yeah. are there are there any younger guys in this league that you think have more potential than DeAndre Aiden? Um, like you're saying for the Suns that they could look to go after, or just yeah, for like Phoenix. Like I'm I can't, think. I can't think of anyone how to interchange like with DeAndre Aiden. Especially not. I mean, if you're matching contracts, you, there probably isn't anyone. I think you bring up a good point about the whole. He was not in a great situation, and if you trade him now, you're trading him at his lowest value. Um, I agree. I agree. Run it back with Aiden. Um, but Chris Paul, I mean, if they if they end up trying to find a trade partner for Chris Paul, like, is there any is there any ones out there that you've seen floated around that you think makes sense? I saw one that was like Marcus Smart for Chris Paul. Yeah, I saw that one too. Um, uh, do I don't I even know. Those? Yeah, I, I, I just don't see one at this point in time. The one that made a lot of sense before they had hired a head coach was uh, with the L.A. Clippers. I know that the Suns had serious interest in uh, trying to see if they could get Ty Lue to be the head coach. And I thought this could be a circumstance where we see a player involved in a coach trade. Oh, like Ty, cool, yeah. Ty Lue and some other pieces, um, since uh, the Clippers have a lot of depth to their team. Uh, they could have probably gotten back a zoo box and a, a Terrence Mann type piece in, in exchange for that. So um, that that that's the other part of this too is like I don't know what else is out there for Phoenix um, a, a, as far as trades are concerned. I mean, I don't think the Marcus Smart one makes sense for either team. I mean, Chris Paul's re- reliability uh, as he ages is obviously not a favorable. Uh, Chance to take on the Celtics just had one this year with Danilo Gallinari. They signed him to uh, a contract Thought he'd be a nice floor spacer for him. Ended up not even playing a single minute. And uh, that was I a totally, guy. I totally forgot about him. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that's a guy that could have helped them in, uh, yeah. in the, in the series against Miami. I think they, they were missing that one piece that could have really spread the floor open, especially, with the down shooting that we got from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum um, in that series. So um, I don't think they want to take on another health risk. They also have Robert Williams, who's had his fair share of injuries. So, I mean, I just don't see them being a, a, a big uh, interest as in terms of uh, getting Chris Paul's services there, but um, it should be, it should be very interesting to see what shakes out here. I mean, the Suns literally have, less than three weeks to, to figure this all out. I know Chris Paul wants to come back and um, I'm sure Devin Booker and KD would love to have him back as well. But, you know, Phoenix also has a salary cap issue and they're certainly not going to pick up that $30 million. So um, I think if I had to make a hot take prediction, I think he's going to end up walking. They're going to let Chris Paul walk. And then of course I would fully expect the Los Angeles Lakers to jump all over that sign Chris Paul to a veteran minimum or, uh, something just above that type deal and let him play with LeBron, which his family's still in LA. That's why uh, Phoenix was such a um, appetizing market to Chris when he was a free agent, decided to sign with the Phoenix Suns was that LA's, you know, just a short flight away. So uh, could be a flight risk to the Lakers. Obviously that would not make the Suns fans happy, but it wouldn't be the first time they've gone through this. Same thing happened when the Suns had Steve Nash. Uh, they ended up trading Nash to the Lakers, which, 
for a Suns fan like myself growing up was uh, a nightmare scenario. But that uh, Nash, Kobe, and Dwight Howard trio wasn't very pretty. After no. All. So um, second order of business here tonight, Joe, is, uh, and, and I'm sure you have a ton of uh, thoughts on this guy, Zion Williamson. Uh, obviously got into some uh, drama off the court here as of recently with uh, apparently trying to juggle two girlfriends at the same time. Uh, one became very outspoken. Um, are you surprised at, 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 are you surprised at this point with anything negative that comes out on Zion? I, I mean, I'm losing all faith. I'm losing all patience with the guy. I believe he played 29 games this year. Obviously his weight has always been an issue. It continues to be one. We're not seeing much progress. We're not getting many updates on his status and then something like this drops like what what's your take on Zion Williamson moving forward and are you still a believer or uh, are you starting to lose hope yourself yeah I mean I don't have too many takes on uh on the whole two girlfriends <laughs> at one time thing I I mean I'm not surprised about that I think there's out there's like going back when to when he was in college like he sends like weird messages and like he's I think he's kind of a weird dude but um in terms of, I mean, it's just another, like you said, it's just another thing with him. Uh, it's just kind of concerning, like, what does he really care about? Does he care about two girlfriends at one time? Or does he care about rehabbing and getting in shape? And right, I mean, those things probably aren't directly related, but maybe, maybe it is. I mean, it's just, he, he needs to get, he needs to get focused and he's getting shape and try to get healthy and put a whole season together. Um, it's not his fault that he's always injured, but it is his fault that there's lingering concerns about him, his weight fluctuating up and down, and that can contribute to him getting injured. So I don't know. It's it's not looking great for him, which is unfortunate because when he's on the floor, I think you can really make a case for him being a top 15 player in, in the NBA. For sure. And with Zion, of course, uh, and, and, and what you do at Strictly – basketball with with your your clips and uh your tiktok with the almost nearly two two million followers i gotta ask since zion's one of the all-time biggest legends when it comes to a high school mixtape what are your top five uh favorite mixtapes uh personally this is this is a really hard and i'm not gonna rank them but i am gonna put zion in there okay um i'm gonna put zion in there for sure and then i'm gonna put in andrew wiggins Okay. One of my favorite with Wiggins was just he would drive left and he would just two foot hop step dunk. I don't think a lot of guys had that in their bag in high school. So Zion Wiggins, I'm gonna go John Wall. Okay. Good choice. Um, absolute beast in high school, number one player. So that kind of added to the hype. I'm gonna go with a guy who wasn't a number one player, Seventh Woods. Ooh. Forgot Seventh that Woods, name. 14 years old. High school mixtape. I mean, having a mixtape at that age, back when mixtapes were a super big deal, that's crazy. Obviously, he didn't really pan out. Went to North Carolina. I think the most he ever averaged in D1 was maybe five or six points, maybe seven points a game. Um, And I got one more spot. I'm going to go with – I'm going to go – I'm going to go with a guy who's not a dunker. I'm going to go Marcus Levette. Ooh. Had a whole mixtape. And there's definitely some ones I missed out, but these are the ones that come to mind first. Had a whole mixtape of just ankle breakers, and I gotta give I gotta show love to a guy who's who's not dunking. He's a, he's a shorter guy, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Marcus Levette. 
All right. Good list there. I actually came up with one myself and in no particular order, uh, got to put Brandon Jennings in there. Uh, he was the number one player in my high school class. Uh, so I definitely uh, enjoyed watching him. Andre Drummond, believe it or not, has a very entertaining and uh, mixtape and, and really displayed a ton of things you don't commonly see Andre Drummond do in the NBA, but back then he was bringing the ball up and doing some crazy stuff at 6'10". Um, John Wall, he was on my list as well. Uh, Jahi Carson, not sure if you're familiar with that name, but he was a local, he's a local guy that went ahead and uh, played at ASU, won Pac-10 Player of the Year, ended up not getting drafted in the NBA, playing most of his time internationally. And then the other guy that I just put in there because he's pretty wild, but uh, definitely had some viral videos is Akil Carr. I'm not sure if you oh, remember yeah. him. Super quick, super athletic, um, and a ton of fun to watch when it comes to uh, the mixtapes. But, uh, Joe, this is a perfect time for us to go ahead and get uh, into what you do. So can you kind of explain strictly basketball, what you do on a day-to-day basis, and then – also tell us why what you're doing is finding a lot of success and we're not seeing as much just YouTube mixtapes these days. Yeah. I mean, first on the mixtape point, like I said, kind of seventh woods back in the time where mixtapes were, were a super big deal. Um, I don't, I don't think mixtapes are, are as big of a deal anymore. Um, just because of stuff that like, like stuff that we do because back then you would record a high school player for a whole season and then you drop the mixtape and it would be a huge deal and everyone would watch it. But now with guys like us, guys like overtime and, and everyone at the games with their phones, with their cameras, the second a highlight happens, it's going on Instagram, it's going on TikTok. So um, I guess mixtape, the era of mixtape is kind of over, but going into what we do, we, um, I, as we, as, as me and my friend Nolan, uh, we were always interested in social media uh, growing up, same neighborhood, and, and we were always interested in basketball. And we always did a couple different things. Like we we were on the platform Vine back when that was a thing. Yeah. And and um, we did Instagram. But then like three years ago, we started posting on TikTok, which was a great app for creators um, to to kind of get views and gain gain a following. And we were making NBA videos for, for about a year and, and – we're ranking different things and stuff. And then we kind of lost momentum and for, for months we weren't gaining any followers. And then we were like, what else, what other kind of content can we make? And we both liked high, high school basketball. Okay. So we went out 15 minute drive to Minnehaha Academy and filmed Chet Holmgren in his senior year of high school. And uh, we, we recorded the game on our phones, which is all we had at the time. And we did a voiceover preview and recap of the game. And it absolutely exploded because Chet was obviously an intriguing prospect. And being from Minnesota, not he didn't have a ton of people posting nas- nationally about him. And after that, we realized that a lot of people um, were interested in high school basketball. So... We took, we took that formula of doing previews and recaps and player profiles, and we did it locally for a bit, and then we went to a few tournaments that first summer. And then we really kind of gained a following as kind of a high school basketball media outlet, and we were doing something that nobody else was doing, which was the voiceovers. It had been clips and highlights for years, and nobody ever voiced over a video. Nobody ever told a story. 
Um, so we, we did that. And after we both graduated uh, one year ago, we, we pursued it full time. And that's what we've been doing the past year. Awesome stuff. And uh, we're doing something new here on tonight's podcast as we got our co-host World B in the house with us now. World B, you cover high school basketball yourself. How about you tell us about the uh, tournament you were at about two months ago? I believe Joe was there as well. Oh, yeah, the uh, Geico Nationals down in Fort Myers. Uh, it was a really a terrific event. It was my first time down there, and you got to see a lot of great – you know, you saw a lot of great teams, and you saw, obviously, a lot of great players. But it was uh, uh, both uh, boys and girls uh, were there. You know, teams were there. And it was for me, it was a whole lot of fun. I've always enjoyed uh, covering high school basketball when I, you know, was a reporter uh, – Prior to coming down here to Florida, I worked at a newspaper in uh, uh, Cabarrus County, North Carolina, that had just outside of Charlotte, that had a lot of great talent there. Uh, Wendell Moore Jr., now on the uh, uh, Timberwolves, was yep. a was the big star. He's the all-time scoring leader in Cabarrus County. I got to cover his team. Uh, the, the Two years before I got there, they had won back-to-back state championships and the minute I get there and cover them for a whole year, they lose in, I think, the quarter or semi. I think they lost in the semi. So uh, I wouldn't say it was my fault, but I, I was hoping to at least see him, uh, them play. And it was really uh, – that was about as good as I've seen basketball. I saw uh, Wendell Moore Jr. in a Christmas tournament against Patrick Williams, now with the Bulls, mm. when he was, I believe – I want to say West Charlotte, but I could be uh, a little off on that. And it was really an exciting game. Uh, Really up and down, and Patrick Williams really impressed with a lot of, a lot of dunks there. But yeah, the, the Geico tournament was really something special, and you saw a whole ton of talent. And uh, it's always nice to see that stuff. Joe knows that you know he's been following for such a long time. You're you're looking at a lot of future NBA players right there in the right there in your uh, in your wheelhouse, right in your backyard, as as it were. So um, one of the gentlemen I. I mentioned to him that that night that I was down there with you and Bruce, uh, and now his name forgets me. But he's now with uh, uh, Overtime Elite, I believe. He's already signed up with them from uh, I can't remember the team now they played on, and I can't remember the name. Big six ten, six eleven, outside shooter, real uh, good scorer, and he was already destined to join. Uh, I believe his Overtime Elite uh, team there. He's already, I believe, signed in playing with them. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. It was a, some really good games and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I would hope, uh, hope to make that a regular trip if I can. Awesome. Yeah. Go ahead, Joe. I, or I was going to say Geico nationals is one of my favorites uh, of the year just cause it's, it's all the best talent. Cause we went for the first time uh, not this year, but the year before. And now you look at the draft and the guys that were at Geico nationals back then were Grady Dick, uh, playing with Sunrise Christian. Um, it was Jairus Walker playing with IMG Academy. Keontae George was playing with IMG Academy. And Jalen hood Shafino, who's another projected lottery pick, was was playing with Montverde. So every year, yeah. go to that event, you probably see five to ten NBA players or more. And getting into our fourth quarter, before we, we jump into the draft, because I definitely want to talk that, uh, talk and discuss some players with you there, Tell our listeners a little bit about your affiliation with Overtime or the work you've done on the side with them, and then also the things you've done at like All-Star Weekend in the NBA. Can you tell us a little bit about 
some of the unique partnerships you've done with both? Yeah, with with overtime, uh, we we always kind of I don't know exactly how it started, but we always wanted to work with them because our our content kind of aligned and we we made similar kind of stuff. And um, last year we went to a few games and we got to interview players. It was more casual. They just kind of had us out for their finals. And then um, we got to interview the Thompson twins back then, um, which was which was really cool. Uh, but this past season, we did like a full season long uh, deal with them where we were pretty much covering, talking about their their program, their league all season long. And it's super cool that I mean, they have a really cool thing going um, and we just kind of made our type of videos about their league. And we made like short little podcast clips like 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 this about the league. And I think they just wanted a lot of media coverage and they felt like they that we could kind of hit their target audience on our social media channels. So it's kind of a win-win. Um, but yeah, I think they have a lot of intriguing players, obviously the Thompson twins being uh, the most notable. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting, interesting thing they got going. Good stuff there. And as we get to the fourth quarter, you mentioned the Thompson twins. Let's go ahead and start with them because they are the two prospects uh, that we've mentioned thus far that are at the top of draft boards. Can you kind of give us a better feel for the strengths and weaknesses of each of their games and, and which, which twin do you like the most? So it, it is always an interesting thing that you got to get used to when it's identical twins. <laughs> um, it's like Marquise and Marcus Morris, you know, coming in in a draft, they went right back to back. And a lot of times it's hard to, to distinguish the two, but uh, as, as I watch them play and, many, many times, Amen is more of the primary ball handler. He plays the point guard position a lot more, probably 70% of the time where Amen's or Asar is more like 30% of the time bringing up the ball and initiating the offense. And when you, when you ask them about it, they say it's just, that's just how they naturally kind of play growing up. I think it wasn't even like a skill set difference. It was just kind of, they, they got better at certain things because a man just took up the ball more often. So a man's more of the primary playmaker. Um, he's going to run more pick and rolls. A man is a little bit more explosive as an athlete. He's, he, um, he's obviously really good attacking the rim. And, um, but I actually like a SAR a little bit better than a man. Uh, I know most draft boards have a man above a SAR, but a SAR, he plays more of a wing position which i think he might be able to kind of fit into a little bit more systems right away in the league because he's is a wing his shooting is in my opinion very far ahead of a men a star they, they both are very much criticized for their shooting if either of them become uh solid three-point shooters i think they're going to be nba all-stars i really wow. do um and i think a star is very he's closer to that point than a man. He hit a he hit a game winning three in the finals at overtime elite, confidently stepping into threes. I actually think something that he's very close to being efficient at is his pull up mid range shots. The numbers might not say it, but he's he's got a his form is looking is looking pretty good. Um, and I think just based on the fact that Asar is more comfortable playing off the ball, he's closer to becoming a good shooter. I think. Um, I would take Asar above a man in the draft. And I actually have heard from some people 
um, within Overtime Elite that that they're getting feedback from NBA scouts that Asar, a lot of people like Asar over a man. So all the mock drafts are going to say a man number is going to go above Asar, but I think I think Asar will actually be picked first on draft night. Interesting. Hey Joe, uh, you know as far as the draft goes, the real uh, intrigue begins at number two with the team that I like to follow when I was uh, living in the Charlotte area, the Hornets, as to what they're going to do. It was always the belief that Scoot Henderson would be the number two choice before the Hornets landed in uh, that two spot. Now there's some question of whether they would take him and pair him with Lamelo, or would they go for Brandon Miller to fit into that line? What What's your take on not necessarily where – what the Hornets should do as far as the pick goes, but can a player like Scoot Henderson, you know, play with a Lamella ball? I personally think that um, that he, I, I think Scoot and Lamelo could make it work, just because Lamelo is such a willing passer and a phenomenal passer, and I think Scoot has a chance to be really good off the ball as, as a slasher. I think. It might be a tough fit, and maybe it would backfire, but I personally think that Scoot is the better prospect, and a lot of times you might just want to take the better prospect. But um, the more obvious fit would probably be Brandon Miller. He's such a great shooter, um, and I actually think he can do a lot more than just than just shoot the ball and score the ball. I think he showed some playmaking flashes as well. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a tough decision. I personally would take Scoot at two, no matter what team I was, but I don't know. Yeah, that'll, that'll be a tough one. And, Joe, we just had you kind of compare the two Thompson twins. Now, two men, uh, two names that you had mentioned off air to me and one that you just named on air was Grady Dick and uh, Keontae George, the shooting guard from Baylor. Both are great shooters. Obviously, Grady Dick has a little bit more size to him, but – um, if you were to have to draft just one of them, who would you put uh, ahead of the other when it comes to just flat-out shooter? I think both are going to be really good. They're definitely different players, but I would take Grady Dick. Um, okay. I would take Grady Dick pretty high. I would take him maybe six or seven. That's how high I am on, on Grady Dick. I think he's going to be on a, a phenomenal shooter, but I, I love what he does as he's going to be – Maybe six or seven is high for, for this kind of player, but he's going to be an exceptional, like, third or fourth piece on a team. Like, I think he's going to be a great shooter. He's not going to create his own shot, but he does a lot of the little things like crash the glass for offensive rebounds. He's a great cutter. He made, he made just some just so many great, great cuts. Um, he just always kind of – he's great at moving off the ball, and obviously cutting comes with that. But I would take – I would say Grady Dick, and I think Keontae George is going to be a really good player too. I sometimes get concerned with a guy who's a little bit undersized and is just a bucket getter, kind of like a, um, I mean, like a Cam Thomas fell in the draft, and maybe he yep. shouldn't have, but a lot of times he can't even stay on the floor. But I think Keontae George is a, is a better prospect than Cam Thomas in the, kind of that same mold. He's just going to really get buckets for you and. If he can become a, a better playmaker and a really serviceable defender, I think he's going to be a really good player too. Gotcha. And now looking down the line here, of course, you're still constantly at a lot of the high school events. Give us maybe three guys that we should keep an eye out on uh, in the future. Who are the guys we're going to hear about 
next year or the year after being top picks in future drafts? Yeah, a few guys. Um, there's two guys that are both high school juniors next year. So it's going to be a few years. I think that's okay. what the 2026 NBA draft. Yep. Um, Carlos Boozer has, has twin sons, Cameron and Caden Boozer. Um, and Cameron, they're both really good players, but Cameron's ranked as the number one player in the class of 2025. And he is a great player. I mean, he is a six, he's six ten. He's shooting, um, playing against his age group and in EYBL, he's shooting like 75% from the field. Great footwork, great ball handling. He can bring up the ball. He's six, six, nine, six, ten, And he's shooting like 85% from the free throw line, which I know is a great indicator of potentially being a great three point shooter. Um, and then the other one who's in his class is a guy named Cooper flag from Maine. And He's ranked number two, but I actually think he's the he's the best prospect um, in all of high school basketball right now. He's like six six eight and is an, okay. a great defender, can guard one through five, um, which I know people say about a lot of guys, but I truly believe it with Cooper Flag, um, and he can shoot the ball, he can handle the ball, he's incredibly athletic. He's averaging like four blocks a game in in EYBL. Um, so those are probably the two guys that I think. Will, Probably go one and two in the 2026 NBA draft, which is pretty crazy to say right now, but I do I do believe that. Hey Joe, what's your uh, what's your evaluation of Bronny James, LeBron James's kid? Bronny, we we watched all of Bronny's EYBL games last summer. I actually think um, I think Bronny grew so much as a player in the last two years, and at this point. I think he's going to be a, a – he has a chance to be a decent role player in the NBA one day. I wouldn't say he's going to be anything more than that. Um, but a couple of guys I've – I've a couple of comparisons I've heard that made sense to me is like a Dante DiVincenzo. Um, or I've heard Drew Holiday because Bronny is a – It's I don't think he's going to be like Drew Holiday, but Bronny is a really, really good defender. I think he's going to be one of the better on-ball point guard defenders in the next draft class, um, and he's a great shooter. I I don't think he has a high ceiling when it comes to creating his own shot off the dribble. I think he's going to be a 3-and-D point guard guy, and I don't know if there's a lot of those type of molds in the NBA. I think a lot of 3-and-D, you want your 3-and-D guys to be a little bigger, but I think he, if I were to put like a draft grade on him right now, I think it'd probably be like a late first rounder or early second round pick. Um, I know ESPN put him at like 10th on the mock draft and maybe that's factoring in a little bit of if LeBron really has plans of, of going to wherever Bronny gets drafted, then maybe that value is a lottery pick. But I think he's a real draft prospect taking out the fact that he's LeBron's kid. I'll say that. All right. And to to add to this question, I've heard some rumors that Bryce, his youngest uh, son, actually is a much better player. Is there any truth to that or any potential of that? Not at all. (laughs) I hate to say it, but um, I don't think, I don't think Bryce is um, 
on the same level as Bronny. Now, I think Bryce, if he's still growing, there may be some potential there because he's already a little bit taller than Bronny. Um, if he gets to LeBron's height, 6'8", and he just gets a, a few of those skills, then maybe. But, um, I mean, I hate to say it about a, a 15 or 16-year-old kid, but he really processes the game, like, really slow. Okay. That's kind of the first thing that, that I see when I'm watching him um, is – all of his moves are really calculated and maybe that comes from, I, I don't know what that, I don't know, but Bronny kind of has a more feel for the game. Uh, Bryce, I'm not super high on him as much as Bronny, but I will say that Bronny's athleticism and, and like bounce really kicked in late in high school. And I think maybe that's still coming for Bryce. Um, but I would say Bronny has a better chance of being an NBA player. All right. Fair enough. And, uh, Got to ask you this one. Obviously, I teased at the top when introducing you that you've had your videos reposted by Carmelo Anthony, Jamal Crawford, and LeBron James. Well, I got to ask about the biggest one and LeBron. What was the clip and how many followers did you gain? Do you remember how many followers you gained once he reposted that on all his social media pages? So he, it was a video we made about Bryce. We were kind of recapping okay. his his uh, weekend, his first weekend at UIBL, which is the Nike AAU circuit, and um, kind of recapping it, showing some of his highlights. And he posted on his Instagram story so people could click and, and see our video. I don't know exactly how many followers we gained, but I do know that we posted the video. And about 20 minutes later, the video had like 60,000 views. <laughs> and we were like, that's not what our videos usually do. Like yeah. I, it was on Instagram and we were like, that's weird. And something hit me five seconds later. I'm like, I got to check. And I checked LeBron's story and it was up on there. So it was a pretty Very surreal cool. moment to think that somewhere out there, LeBron James was sitting on his couch and saw the video and decided to put it up on his Instagram story, <laughs> hearing my voice. Um, so yeah, that was, that was super cool. I hope he doesn't see this because I did just say Bryce is not very good, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure he doesn't listen to our podcast. Oh, yet, so you're still, you're safer hey, now. No, no. After, after today, now, you, you know, all bets are off as far as that goes with Joe on board. <laughs> For sure. And uh, before we close things off here and uh, wind down uh, tonight's show, you did mention you're a Minnesota Timberwolves diehard fan, and obviously it's a very interesting summer for them after a controversial last summer with some of the moves that were made. What's your take on this team moving forward, and are there anything that you're looking for the team to do this offseason that can improve their chances? Um. It's such a tough question because there's a million different ways I could go. I mean, obviously, the Rudy Gobert trade was was bad, I think. I mean, it was giving up those picks. Giving up Walker Kessler really hurts because he's looking like a younger, less money Rudy Gobert. Yep. Um, but you can't take back the trade. So, I mean, going forward, I think we have to just run, run it back. I mean, it might not work, but Towns was out for 50 games. Um, and Mike Conley was a better piece for us than D'Lo. So maybe that helps us kind of bridge the gap between, I mean, Ant, Ant and Gobert have no chemistry. I, I don't think at all. Um, now Mike Conley does, but yeah, I would say, I would say run it back. 
And there's some serious questions to be had if, if the season doesn't go well. I honestly, I think that Towns is the one who's going to continue to really be hurt by the Rudy Gobert trade because I just don't think he benefits by playing the four on offense. I think in theory, it was like he can shoot the ball. Um, but the key to guarding Towns is to put a smaller player on him and, um, and double team him. And he'll, he'll, he'll get flustered. And now a lot of the, the fives are guarding, are guarding Gobert. Like you can't put a five on Towns that like a, a slower five, he's, he's going to burn them every time. So I think we kind of took away our strengths that we had going for us the year before. So I, I don't know. It's I don't have super high hopes for next season, but I, I hold on to high hopes for the future because Edwards and McDaniels are going to be one of the best duos, um, one of the best young duos in the league right now. So and I think Edwards could be a top five player in the league. So I hold on to the future for four years from now when maybe we got a new guys around Edwards and McDaniels. Yeah, well, that makes two of you because uh... – World B is a huge Anthony Edwards guy as well. Yeah. World B, would you go as far as to say he could be a top five player in the league too? Uh, he has that potential. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Both ends. I think he he continues every year. He continues to get better. I mean, that's his shooting gets better. His scoring gets better. Uh, th- I mean, that's what the numbers say. So there's uh, there's no reason to think that it can't improve. Uh, I just wonder – like Joe said, I wonder what the future is for Carl uh, Anthony Towns in Minnesota. Um, I I totally agree with Joe. The, everybody would agree with Joe that the Rudy Gobert trade was just uh, <laughs> bad. It was just bad. <laughs> There's just no way, other way around it. It was a uh, lousy decision. It looks worse and worse, like I said, not just because of the pitch, but because Walker Kessler turned out to be um, such a surprising success. And, you know, it, you can't do anything with Rudy now. You just can't. There's, yeah. you know, there's a sucker born every minute, and Minnesota was it. And yeah. now it's like, well, all right, well, now we'll be, what's Cat's future? Now you're in danger of taking away what you would hope for with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns as a one-two punch to match up with potentially anybody in the league. And now it's – that rooted that trade really puts a lot of stuff in in flux for all the wrong reasons, really. Yeah. Yep. It absolutely does. And uh, I've got another team I'm going to discuss for my final thought that kind of put themselves in a, a tough situation as well. So let's go ahead and get right into the final thought uh, portion of the show. World B, I'll go ahead and start with you. Well, thank you guys. Uh, a little bit of a personal touch here, but uh, my closing. Sh- thought is a shout out to one of my closest friends, a guy I've known for close to 50 years now. Yes, I'm that old. <laughs> uh, a guy who was a former New Yorker like I was, and now like I am a fellow Floridian. His name is Steve O'Neill. And on Tuesday morning, the news broke in the golfing world about the merger between the PGA Tour and LIV. And being that we're both fellow golfers and golfing fans, I sent a text out about this shocking news only to get the following response from, from him. Quote, Mike, I can't discuss as I am listening to your podcast. I can only handle so much. So it was a nice reminder that as much fun as as we, you know, we Ross and Bruce and I have had, you know, putting these shows together every week since December, it makes it that much more enjoyable when you know you have loyal listeners who have been following the show from the start. 
So, you know, thanks to my man, Steve-O, and everyone out there who's been following each episode along, you know, this ride. Without you all, this show doesn't have nearly as much staying power, and we hope everyone out there continues not only to listen, uh, but to write in to uh, fill our email bag so we can have that as our fourth quarter segment once again. Yeah, absolutely. So big shout out to Steve. Thanks for your support here on uh, the 48 Minutes podcast and uh, look forward to having some more fun with everybody with uh, special guests, much like Joe here tonight and uh, looking forward to some off-season talk that's right around the corner. Joe, what do you have for a final thought? I'm going to go back to the Nuggets Heat series to wrap yeah. up my, my final thought. Um, I, actually, not the series. I, I, I'm just going to I'm going to have a hot take when it comes to Nikola Jokic. And I know not everyone likes rankings, but I'm going to say Nikola Jokic, when he retires, will be considered a top 10 NBA player of all time. Wow. I mean, it's hard to argue against it right now with the numbers he's putting up. Uh, the back to back MVPs could have easily had a third, as we discussed earlier. So um can't really argue with that right now. I mean, especially if he puts a ring on his finger. I mean, they'll be the uh, the reigning champions and uh, come in as favorites in the Western Conference next year. So, not the craziest add, thing I've ever heard. I'll add one more note to that, and a and a reason for that is because I think his health, his durability is going to be huge when it comes to winning MVPs and winning championships. I think Jokic, a lot of stars in the NBA today are very injury prone and maybe maybe a third of their seasons are taken away by injuries so i think that his durability is really going to help him when mb rack up mvps and championships yeah that's a good point i mean he's the type of guy that doesn't rely upon a ton of athleticism or explosiveness he's got a very timeless game so uh, very very valid point there joe and thanks for the final thought as for mine, I wanted to discuss new Wizards GM Michael Winger recently, uh, who held his introductory press conference with the Wizards and said, quote, eventually we're going to host a trophy in Washington, D.C. I just can't tell you when. All right. He went on to say the goal is to pursue champions. Uh, excuse me. The goal is to pursue championships by any means necessary, but it's going to take some time. You think it's definitely going to take some time in Washington after the series of moves in the last couple of years, which included giving Brad Beal a max extension, trading Rui Hachimura for 10 cents on the dollar, and a laundry list of mediocre draft selections in the lottery. So here's hoping Winger completely blows the current roster that could be compared to a pawn shop out of the water, and starts a full rebuild. And I hope that the Portland Trailblazers also take notes. I know that we talked a lot about the draft. We didn't get to them tonight. But, of course, if Scoot Henderson is there at three, I think it's time to move Dame. I'll reiterate it. Trade Dame at peak value. Hand the keys off to Scoot Henderson along with uh, Anthony Simons and let um, young Shaden Sharp rock on the wing as well, get him some more touches, some starter minutes, and – Washington should be doing the same. If they could trade Brad Beal for anything, just get it done. Get Brad out of there. Get get some salary. Um, I mean, if you're going to keep one of Kuzma and KP, go ahead and make your choice, personal preference. But don't keep both and keep playing mediocre basketball where you're 
you know, two to three games out of the play-in tournament every year. Let's hit, hit a full reset in Washington, and maybe one day they will be able to host that trophy, as Michael Winger suggested. So, Joe, we want to thank you for joining us on tonight's show. And uh, before we do let you go, can you tell us uh, how our listeners can find you and follow you? Yep. On um, It's just at Strictly B-Ball on Instagram, TikTok, and our YouTube channel is Strictly B-Ball as well. All right. Perfect. And uh, hopefully uh, coming up on uh, our, our show here tonight and plugging your uh, your TikTok feed there, hopefully we'll be able to be what it takes to, to tip you over to that 2 million mark on, on the follower account. So keeping my fingers crossed, we can get that done for you. Hey, hopefully, man. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you guys having having me as a guest. Yeah, it was a lot of fun having you, Joe. Hopefully, you can come back and, and check in with us at some point. Give us another update on on what you're seeing out there on the AAU high school circuit. I certainly enjoy that aspect of the game, and uh, you know, your time's right around the corner with the draft, the summer league, and I'm sure you'll see a lot of names that you uh, have been tracking for the last couple of years. But uh, till then, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll be back with you next Tuesday to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Have a great weekend, everybody. Take care.